We continue in Mark this morning. I, I got an email a while back. This, this is a couple years ago. This, one, this is one I kept. And it was from the uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was from uh, Franklin Graham. And uh, this is what it said. It says, Dear friend, this month I am headed to Blackpool, England, one of the darkest cities in that nation. Alcoholism is everywhere and the suicide rate is sky high. The British media have referred to it as the unhealthiest place in the nation. Drugs, gambling, crime, and violence are all epidemic. Churches in the city and surrounding Lancashire area have been praying for their community for years And they've invited me to come in September to preach the gospel of Christ. People there need to know God loves them and wants them to be free from darkness and sin. They need to know the the power of the gospel. The power of Christ brings new life that will last for eternity. But secular voices in the city have risen up in opposition. They strongly resist God's word and want to undermine the evangelistic outreach, even derail it if they can. Now, he goes on to ask for prayer for that city, you know, prayer for him as he, as he preaches the gospel for the people who, who will hear. And when I, when I read that, I was, I was curious about this, uh, this city in England. I'd never heard of it before. Blackpool, England. I, lo- I looked it up, and sure enough, it's got massive problems. It's considered to be the unhealthiest place in England. The life expectancy is lowest in the country. Uh, this is attributed to many factors, including a high incidence of poverty, smoking, alcoholism, and, and suicide. Yet, in looking at the demographics of this area, 67% of the people who live there identify as Christians. Uh, that's down from 79% uh, 10 years earlier. And only 1.9% of the Blackpool residents identify themselves as having uh, a religious belief other than Christian. So the rest of the population, about 31%, has uh, no affiliation. They're, they're nuns. Anyway, this is a city in need of the, uh, the liberating power of, of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's a place where people need him desperately. They, they need his salvation and yet even a, a large portion of the religious leaders in Blackpool were, were fighting Franklin's, Franklin Graham's uh, coming there to preach the gospel. You know, apparently they felt like they were doing just fine the way they were. So you have to wonder, this is a place that's historically Christian. You know, how can things be so dark? You know, maybe, uh, I would say probably, it's the Christianity there is cultural Christianity. It's a a Christianity that is is devoid of Christ, devoid of of Christ in the hearts of of the people. Christianity has become too ordinary, too familiar. And despite the, uh, the darkness and the despair in Blackpool, you know, the people are not apparently looking for the answer. They're not looking for the one who can dispel that darkness, the light of the world. 
the, the one who came to bring light to, to those who are walking in darkness, who are spiritually dead. They're, they're offended by the gospel and they're rejecting Jesus. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new. And, and as we come to chapter 6, we see Jesus going into uh, Nazareth, which is his hometown. He's going to his own people and they reject him. His own people reject him, his family even. Read with me from Mark 6, starting with verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard them were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. And he went on, or he went about among the villages teaching. So here's the first point. Jesus offends people. You know, it says says right there, they, they took offense at him. Um... Why is this? You know, first, he's, he's too familiar to these people he, he grew up with. You know, we, we all know the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. You know, they've, they've spent a lot of time watching Jesus grow up over the years. They, they know his brothers and sisters. They said, look, they're, they're right here. These are his brothers and sisters. They learned from the same rabbis in the synagogue that, you know, why would, why would Jesus know any more than we do? You know, he's been to the same school, sat in the same, under the same teaching. Why would he know more about God than we do? You know, they, they knew the house that he grew up in. And, and he comes from a, a rather ordinary family, actually kind of extraordinary in, in some ways. But, you know, if Jesus is the Messiah, wouldn't, wouldn't he come from somewhere else? Some exotic place, maybe the kind of place that we dream of of going to. Uh, there's there's a saying at uh, at conferences. Usually, the person who's most expert is the person who comes from the farthest distance. You know, per, perhaps the issue is he's just too ordinary. He's he's too familiar, and. You know, he's just a lowly carpenter. Some of them might have said, you know, see that, that stone wall over there? I remember watching him build that. Or, or you know, the, the yoke of my, my oxen. He, Jesus built that. Jesus and, and his father and his brothers, the chairs that we sit on, same thing. He built those too. Now, now he's showing up, teaching about the kingdom of God, telling us we need to repent. He's, he's telling us he's been anointed by God to, to bring deliverance. Well, they're thinking, I, I don't see any deliverance. You know, the, the, the Roman tyranny is, is still all around us. You know, 
why would a messiah why would a messiah be a be a carpenter you know he what's he going to do restore the kingdom of god with a with a hammer and a and a plane a saw you know wouldn't wouldn't he show up on a a big white steed with a with a sword in his in his hands to to wipe out the oppression the tyranny of of rome oh and and you know the point they point out that he's mary's son that's kind of interesting isn't it because you know this is a, a patriarchal and a, a patrilinear society uh, in other words you know one's identity comes from his father not his not his mother you know you'd expect them to say well isn't this joseph's son but they say he's isn't this isn't this mary's son well you know jesus came from a small town Everybody knows the gossip. Everybody knows the uh, the scandals. Everybody knows everybody else's comings and goings. You know they. Uh, oh, and, and you know, small towns have long memories, right? They remember how this unmarried girl, this young girl, just showed up pregnant, and she had this crazy story about being a virgin and, and the Holy Spirit overshadowing her and, and conceiving Jesus. Oh, oh, and, and you know, she, she says she was visited by an angel. And even Joseph was going to dump her. I, I remember that. He was, he was going to quietly put her away because he's a gentleman, Joseph is. Oh, but, you know, he was also visited by an angel. So, you know, this is Mary's son. This is Mary's son. You, you, you just can't get past these things. You know, maybe they were just too close, too familiar. And, uh, you know, I think this can happen to us, too, in our culture, can't it? Kids who grow up in, in Christian families, hearing God's word, attending church, observing their their parents' faith. You know, they can grow up just with the idea that this is this is familiar it's common this is this is too ordinary you know maybe they maybe they feel like they need something else something more exotic you know i've i've heard some people say well you know any any religion is really cool except for christianity um i've mentioned before this this friend of ours mike in uh texas longview texas who calls himself an atheist and you know, one day I was I was having lunch with him, and I just really felt I needed to just hit him with the gospel, pure and simple. And uh, he just smiled at me and nodded. And he goes, yeah, 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 I, I've heard all this a million times. I know the doctrine. But he was... And, you know, he was raised in a family where this was talked about. He he was raised in a church where this was talked about, but he never had a personal encounter with, with Jesus. He never knew Jesus. You know, for him, it's too familiar, too ordinary, too lowly. Number two, uh, unbelief hinders Jesus' work. We see that here in this story. Look what it says. It says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You know, he, here he is. He's God incarnate. He could have forced them to believe, couldn't he? But he doesn't work that way. He, he could have absolutely controlled them, but he, but he didn't. 
He wasn't unable to do anything. In fact, he did heal a few people, you know, the ones who, who did believe. But overall, his, his hometown was unwilling to believe in him. They were unwilling to receive him. And uh, you know, his, his teaching, this, this teaching was pretty amazing. You know, they, they heard the great wisdom that was in Jesus' words. They saw these, these astonishing miracles that Jesus did. Um, he, he explained the scriptures better than the rabbis could do. You know, they, they were amazed at this. Where did, it, where did it come from? Where did he, where did he get this? You know, they, they were asking the right questions here. But the answer was right in front of them and they missed it. They, they just couldn't believe. They could not get past the familiarity and the ordinariness of Jesus. Uh, number three, you know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it astonishing that they would not believe you know, despite these extraordinary things that Jesus did and the amazing things that he, that he said, this wisdom with which, which, which with he taught, you know, they just could not embrace him. They couldn't believe in him. You know, somehow I, I think it'd be like putting, putting some water in front of a, a really thirsty person and them saying, no, I don't need that. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Don't you worry about me. You know, it says here of Jesus, he marveled. He marveled because of their unbelief. You know, over the years, I've, been, I've marveled at my, my own children when I have very good advice for them. And they don't listen. Well, that's just dad. That's just mom. You know, my, my, my friend over here who you know, is 12 years old, knows more than, than they do. And, you know, it just astonishes me, but we just had to let them many times learn the hard way. You know, and um, I'm an imperfect person. I, I, was, I was a deeply flawed parent, just like we all are. We're, we're human. But, you know, these people in Nazareth were rejecting Jesus, the Son of God himself, um, I find it amazing that uh, people in a place like Blackpool, England, which is traditionally and historically Christian, are rejecting him. I find it amazing that we have the same situation in our own country. You know, if we look at the demographics for, for Chihuahua, you know, mo- most people are considered nuns, N-O-N-E, no religious affiliation. It's unbelief. I think that um, even in pl- some places we've we've lived in that are known as as the Bible Belt, there's a lot of unbelief, a lot of unbelief. It, the the city we came from before coming here, Russellville, Arkansas, I, I believe forty percent were unaffiliated. You know, and the of the other sixty percent, there's a lot of other beliefs besides uh, Christian. Anyway, I think that uh, people many times are willing to accept, accept a, uh, a false Jesus, a, a Jesus who they think 
is not the one who really is. You know, I think that um, the problem many times is just that Christianity in, in America is ordinary and familiar. People, many people think that following Jesus is uh, things such as going to church, you know, attending a church or being a, a church member, even being baptized does not save us. You know, the people in Jesus' hometown were, were very religious people. They, they went to the synagogue. They offered their sacrifices faithfully. They went to the temple in Jerusalem each year to do that. But their affiliation with the temple and the sacrifices did not help them. Many of them, probably most of them, did not help them believe in Jesus. You know, we're not, we're not saved by going to church. We don't inherit faith. We don't inherit salvation from our parents. Another thing that deceives people into thinking they know Jesus is they feel that they are good. You know, but we're not saved by being good, are we? You know, these these people were, were pretty decent people, I imagine. They followed the Mosaic laws probably most of the time. You know, they, they I'm sure they were very good at recognizing the sin in other people. Um, you know, how many, how many people do we know? I've heard this many, many times. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm better than most people I know. But we're not saved by our good works. You know, our... our Eternal life does not depend on our own works, our own works of righteousness. We're, we're saved by placing our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 8, uh, 2, 8 through 10. Many of us know this one by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, works that, that anyone should boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works. We're saved in order to do good works. You know, good works are uh, are good. They're they're very good. That's his plan for us as, as his children. We do good works because we're saved. We're not saved because we do good works. What are some other things? You know, having having the correct political views or being on the right side of, of political issues or political debates. You know, I think that some people confuse their Christianity with their uh, their political stance, their affiliation, their you know which candidate they support. There was this one woman in our church in Dallas where I did my uh, internship, who came to the pastor very concerned because another person in the the church was voting for a particular candidate. This was in the 2016 election. And she was sure this guy was going to hell because he was voting for the wrong guy. People were offended by Jesus for a variety of reasons. He, He told his disciples in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute it. They will also persecute you. And so if people were offended by Jesus, people are going to be offended by his disciples. The ones who are truly following him will offend people just as he did. 
You know, after Jesus' visit to his own people, now Mark focuses on the disciples. Verse 7 through 13, he says, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You know, it kind of seems if we if we look at the the whole story and what happens before Jesus is sending out the disciples, Jesus was rejected in his hometown. What was Jesus doing? He was preparing them for rejection. You know, he's telling them right here, you know, there's going to be some people who aren't going to accept you. They're not going to listen to you. You know, this is the, the teacher-disciple relationship in, in play. He wanted them to learn about rejection. So, you know, as Jesus is now sending out his disciples, he goes into this teaching mode. He says, expect that some won't receive you. The message is going to offend. And, you know, what is... Mark mentions just one thing that, that the disciples preached to people when they went out. What was that? It was because of this message that uh, Jesus tells them to anticipate being rejected by by some. He says, if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. This is the message they would heed. What is it? It's Jesus' message of repentance. It says they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. You know, look, look back a few chapters. Look, look back, you know, starting from, from verse 1 and, and keep reading, and you'll see how many times this word repent pops up. John the Baptist appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's, that's the fourth verse in this book. Just 11 verses later in verse 15 of chapter 1, Jesus is teaching about repentance. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Now, the disciples are proclaiming repentance, you know, that people should repent. And that's the message that's offensive. The disciples weren't offensive. Their message was, you know, Jesus did not tell his disciples, go out and, and irritate people. You know, we, we, we should be um, pleasant and respectful when we do things in the name of Jesus. You know, notice, notice what the disciples do when Jesus sends them out. You know, they, they go out in, in simplicity. They go out in humility. They... They anoint people with oil. You know, they bring, they bring healing. They, they cast out demons. They, they minister to people in, in practical ways that meet their needs. They're, they're showing the kind of love that Jesus wants us to show to people. We should bring healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus. 
You know, elsewhere, Jesus talks about visiting people in, in prison or giving, giving thirsty people a glass of water in, in his name. You know, one of, the, one of the disciples, Peter, you know, he talks about the, the approach we need to take when we share the gospel. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen to this. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. People need to see our love for them. They need to sense that. They need to feel it. So, in this sense, uh, you know, we need to be unoffensive. We need to be pleasant to people. You know, but at the same time, if, if we bring the message of hope that Jesus is the way, he's the only way to the Father, you know, he's, he is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, people are going to be offended. It's that message that's going to be offensive. The gospel itself is going to be offensive. And the offense is that people need to be told to repent and believe in Jesus. Um, maybe we should discuss what what is meant by by repentance. You know, some for 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 some of us, we we think of caricatures. You know, people with a sandwich board maybe and yelling, you know, repent and cr- craziness. But um, you know, it's a common theme in the Bible. John the Baptist, Jesus, now the disciples say people need to repent. Um, yeah, we have we have a lot of other verses that just say believe. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, where's, where's the repentance? We'll get to that. John 3.16, this very beloved verse, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Acts 16.30 30 through 31. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Somebody asked the apostles. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Sometimes the, the word repent is, is combined with the word believe uh, as in 115. Also Acts uh, 20, 21, you know, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the word for repentance in the, uh, the original language, the Greek, is uh, metaneo. And it means literally to, to change one's mind, change one's mind. You know, concerning salvation, it's, uh, you know, it means to, to think differently about sin, uh, oneself and, and the Savior, than one used to think. Uh, you know, Peter, Peter's hearers had thought that Jesus was not the Messiah. You know, now they need to change their minds and acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, it's, it's the believing that is the repentance. It's, it's the repentance that is the believing. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. If we... If we think of repentance and, and belief as two separate things, uh, we get into trouble. 
David Barnhouse says it like this. He says, biblical repentance may be described thus. The sinner has been trusting in himself for salvation, his back turned upon Christ, who is despised and rejected. Repent, about face. The sinner now despises and rejects himself and places all confidence and trust in Christ. Sorrow for sin comes later as the Christian grows in appreciation of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. This is offensive. People don't want to believe that uh, they are, are dead in sin. They want to believe that they're just fine the way they are. They don't want to accept the exclusivity of, of Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. They don't want to humble themselves before the Almighty God and admit that they cannot save themselves. The gospel is offensive. The Bible tells us that. Um, but you know, the, the offense should not be us. It should not be our obnoxiousness. You know, we, we cannot bully people into uh, salvation. What did Jesus say? You know, if you go to a town and there are people there that just won't listen to you, they won't believe your, your message, do what? Shake the dust off your feet, go to the next town. Present the gospel to somebody who will listen, somebody who will believe. As for the people who've rejected us, they have not rejected us. They've rejected Christ and the message of Christ. I think, I think I've told this story before, but uh, you know, we, we have an example of, that really sticks in my mind of somebody who was very um, obnoxious when he was presenting the gospel. This was in Kalispell. Um, there was a, a parade going on. We didn't know what it was at first. We stopped and found out it was a pride festival. Real strange in that town. I think, uh, I don't know, it was weird. But anyway, what caught my attention was it was this guy that had a sandwich board and a bullhorn. The, the sandwich board said something like, God hates you, you're going to hell. Um, something like that. And he was just spewing hatred and vitriol through this, this bullhorn, you know. And I, I, didn't, I, I wish I could go back and say something to the guy because that, that was not gentleness and respect like, like Peter says to do. To have, you know, if we're if we're persecuted and rejected, which we will be, it needs to be for the right reasons, right? Jesus said in the Beatitudes, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." That's Matthew five ten. You know, he doesn't say, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for having uh, horrible mannerisms." Um, you know, if, if you're pre, if you if you are persecuted because of your abrasiveness, uh, that's that's a different story, isn't it? That's not Jesus's plan for making disciples. You know, our, our responsibility is to deliver the message of Jesus Christ and His love, in love, and respect, like Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Our job is to present the, the truth. Yes, absolutely. 
but to do it in love. Ephesians 5.15. You know, it doesn't, it does not mean watering down the, the message of the gospel. You know, the, the, the gospel does include repentance. You know, you, if you don't have Jesus, you are dead in sin. You need him. It's a, it's a matter of balance, truth and love. Can't have one without the other. Well, let's, uh, as we close, you know, let's, let's just know, let's acknowledge that people need Jesus. Uh, many are going to be offended by him. Many are going to be offended by his message and, and by us when we bring that message. But, uh, you know, if, if people are offended, let them be offended by the cross, by the gospel. They're, they're rejecting the message we bring. They're not rejecting us. Uh, they're, they're offended by the, the good news of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, we thank you so much for, for your love, your, the great love you, you have for us, the love that was shown on the cross, Lord Jesus, when you took our sins on your shoulders. And they were nailed to the cross, Lord. Even when we were sinners, you died for us. And, uh, Lord, we, we pray for those who, who don't know you. Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to, uh, to present the good news of, of Jesus so that by repenting and, and believing in him, they might have eternal life. And uh, you know, we, we pray, Lord, for, for those we know. Our, some of us have family members. Some of us have coworkers and friends, neighbors. Some just uh, loose acquaintance, acquaintances, Lord. We, uh, we pray for those people. We pray that they would not reject you, Lord, but they would come to you. And I I just ask you, Lord, that we might reflect your love whenever we encounter others. In Jesus' name, amen.